0: Welcome, everybody, whether you are watching or listening to the Football Outsiders live stream. This is the Wednesday Ask Us Anything show, uh, although we have a few things we know we want to talk about. I'm Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders, joining you on uh, Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and in the widget in the corner of our website and afterwards on the Football Outsiders podcast network. We're here every day. 1 p.m. Eastern to talk about the NFL and hi to everybody. And joining me today, we've got Mike Tanyer, as always. We have J.P. Acosta. Be aware of the new Twitter handle for J.P. (laughs) Make sure to follow the new Twitter handle. And we've got Tom Gower in the house. Hello, Tom. You have a backdrop of the four of us. (laughs) He's being blue screen. We're gonna add something behind Tom later. We're gonna to- like a angry monster or something. <laughs> you <Yeah,
1: laughs>
2: gotta add. That, we gotta add that photo of Derek Henry stiff farming Josh Norman <laughs> in last Bills game. Uh, do you, I don't, I suppose you don't remember the scramble
3: after the Titans Patriots game in two thousand nine when uh, Mike Kurtz revealed that uh, Vince Young's uh, bootleg pass was actually incomplete to. To protect his receiver from an oncoming Godzilla, but uh, if you go back to the uh, F.O. column up it's probably still there. I was gonna say it's a little. It was a little cold
0: that day for a Godzilla. I guess a rampaging snow monster would have made more sense because that was the game that was in a freak October snowstorm. The abominable
1: snowman was coming. That's
0: fifty-nine to nothing. I remember that one very well. <laughs> good times good times all right so uh ask us questions if you're watching live on twitch or youtube uh which is a reason for those of you who are listening afterwards to watch live because right. then you can ask us questions and um i've got a question mike wants to start
1: i have a question
0: see yeah. i was on i was on
1: uh on a radio station somewhere in middle america a monday morning very early and I think you had just updated the DVOA rankings like so recently that I had not seen them. And uh, I'm on talking about two-point conversions and all the things you talked about on Monday morning. And the hosts were like, well, you know, the Green Bay Packers are 10th in DVOA. What's really low? What's up with that? And my response was, the Packers are 10th in DVOA? What, what, what is up with that? And I stammered through the rest of the segment talking about their special teams, uh, which I figured was a safe topic, and they were 32nd. Yeah. But I I did read it uh, this week. But yeah, what is up with that? That's really low.
0: Yeah, it's weird, right? Um, It doesn't seem to match our perception of them. Some of it is that week one game dragging them down. But I think even without that week one game, they'd only be something like ninth or eighth. And I went and I looked because I was like, okay, well, what if we use something simpler than DVOA? Let's use just points scored and allowed. And if you look at points scored and allowed and Pythagorean – wins projection based on points scored and allowed the packers are 10th <laughs> like eight point like eight right? 8.3 wins they, they just have it's it's something like 8.5 wins compared to the actual 11 that they have mm-hmm. and they just have played close games and not a lot of big victories they have the 17 to nothing over seattle but otherwise they don't like have the big dominating victories that you usually associate with the best teams, and they have a lot of these close wins, like you know one point over Baltimore. Right. Um, and then when you look at the DVOA, um, when you look at the DVOA for for the Packers, like it makes logical sense. They're number one passing the ball. Right. Makes logical sense, right? Yeah. Okay. They're ninth rushing. Right. that's they're not the best running game but they're good right that's good okay they're below average on defense i don't think anybody thinks that the packers have an above average defense uh especially with no darius smith and no jair alexander which is the way it's been for most of the year
1: right
0: and they're dead last on special teams and everyone knows their special teams suck so if you break <laughs> it down into the like the parts that go right. into dvoa it kind of makes total logical sense. I guess the only thing you might argue about is that their lead passing the ball is small and should be larger. I guess I had to go back and look at their resume and
1: realize that it was a lot of wins over those middleweight teams, like all those sort of AFC also ran teams, those, NFC teams that are below the the big guys. And it's all by final scores like 27-17 or, you know, I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Yeah,
0: they've got three wins around midseason where they beat like mid-range teams by like 10 points apiece. Yeah, like Washington. Yeah. yeah. By like 10 points. And, it, you know, I, I would go, but you,
1: you watch those games. And it was like, yeah, that was a handy victory. And it wasn't necessarily a victory that was in a lot of doubt. But it's not this dominating win. It's something that could have that tripped. And I guess the Browns are the same way coming up this week. This week, here's a middleweight team. If they get their guys back, if it's not um, the Nick Nolan's experience, this looks like another game that could end up being, you know, twenty four seventeen. That, that's, I guess, that's a mid, not a middle of the pack team, but that's like a cut below what you would expect at the top of the DVOA pool.
3: Aaron, did you, have you looked at post game win expectancy for the Packers relative to other teams at the top of the standings?
0: No, that's an interesting idea. Since hmm. I created that this year to sort of add together all the post game win expectancies, hmm. I know that um, Minnesota, the Minnesota game that they lost, they actually came uh, they actually came out higher than Minnesota in that game. Like in that game, they actually had a fairly high rating. Yeah. Hmm.
1: That was an odd game, and of course, that was a game where a lot of what happened was Kirk Cousins throws a would-be interception drop. So Kirk Cousins throws an interception, and it's called called back for a penalty, et cetera, et cetera. And the Vikings get a win out of that. But yeah, that would be the closest thing they have to like a bad win. They don't have, I mean, excuse me, a bad loss. They don't have a bad loss on their resume since week one. But they don't have, I guess, except for the Rams game,
0: a superior win where you say the well, Seattle game. Did not come out as high in DVOA as I would have expected, but seventeen to nothing is a—that's a, that's a you know,
2: solid win.
0: Yeah, they shut out yeah. Seattle. We know in retrospect that Russell Wilson's finger is not right, right, and that they're not the Seattle offense we think they are. But still, seventeen to nothing is a—you know—that's
2: a nice good win, right? I think yeah. the way I think the way to think about the pa- I think about the Packers is they're a really good team. They might not blow teams out like. They're not gonna have the highest like DVOA in terms of like, yeah, we're just gonna beat teams by 30, 40 plus each week, but they're gonna handily win games. It's <laughs> it's really weird because like if you look at the box score after the game, like say you hadn't watched the, the Packers play and you look at the box score, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh wow, they only beat this team by like seven or ten. Was it really a close game? No, it really wasn't. They no. kind of the team made a furious comeback to backdoor cover the team backdoor covered against the Packers. They have a lot of backdoor covers this year. So it's it, there really are kind of a weird team, I guess, in terms of how we look at them in DVOA versus how we look at them on the field. Because we know how good they are on the field, but DVOA is kind of different.
0: I mean, it's a great test. Are Is it better to be a team that consistently wins by small amounts, like the Packers, mm-hmm. or to be a team that's all over the freaking place, but <laughs> when you add it all up, you're pretty awesome, like Buffalo? right and,
1: and there's a lot that goes into that because when you then you put aaron Rodgers on top and say well yes this guy is capable of adding value in these situations whereas you don't necessarily know that about josh allen you don't know that about these other teams um yeah it, I, I found that i found it surprising but then when i started looking at who's ahead of them factors and all the factors we mentioned like oh yeah the, you know somebody has to be 10th you know so somebody's going to be below the Patriots and below the Buccaneers. And and that's kind of where the, the Packers end up.
0: I mean, I wrote in the piece yesterday, there are other advanced metrics that put more weight specifically on the quarterback, like ESPN's FPI. Okay. So ESPN's FPI has them higher than we do, but they still only have them sixth. Despite the fact that they have the best win loss record, ESPN's FPI still has five teams ahead of the Packers. So, that's sort of how I feel is like we might be underrating them a little bit. Right. But I don't think DVOA is wrong when it suggests they're not the best team in the league. Right. That seems reasonable. Like I doubt we're over, we're underrating them a ton. Like we're probably right. underrating them a little bit. Makes sense. And they're better than they're better than where we have them rated, but I don't think that they're number 1. Despite the fact that in wins and losses they're number one, <laughs> and in chances of getting the number one seed they're number
3: one, and uh, with the defensive players likely to come back, if they're if they're going to get uh, Zaydaire Smith or if they're going to get Jair Alexander, then it's easy to say okay, they're better than DVOA and they're better than where something like FPI has them or a subjective adjustment to DVOA for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, so I would think to see the I Packers as that is
0: true. Their defense should get better, assuming they're going to get their best pass rusher and their best cornerback back from
2: injury. And they also could get David Boptiari back.
0: Yep, that too.
2: That could help the offense as well.
0: Uh, CCX3 says the Packers are the 2009 Chargers with the 2010 Chargers special teams. I I will (laughs) say the Packers special teams are bad, but they're not that bad. Part of that is that I don't consider onside kicks, so they don't lose any credit for blowing the onside kick against the uh, Bears. Right. Uh, But um, their special teams are not 2010 Chargers bad. They're just one of the middle worst special teams.
3: How do they compare to 2010 Packers special teams? Which year was Uh, better? Uh, Better?
0: Because I just ran a thing on someone asked me, has a team with special teams this bad ever won the Super Bowl? And the answer is no. No team with special teams this bad has ever won the Super Bowl. The worst special teams to ever win the Super Bowl include the 2009 Saints, the 2020 Bucks, 2006 Colts, and the 2010 Packers. La la la. Which had special teams that were like minus two and a half percent this year—they're at like minus six and a half percent. Yeah, and
1: you—you mentioned the 2020 Bucks. I don't remember them last year having a bad special teams. I guess it was just. Ordinary,
2: yeah, well, they, they were think, a little bit
0: below average.
1: Yeah, they a kicker know? problem, didn't
2: they? I mean, this Packers special teams unit is like, I'm not gonna say like historically bad because they don't make the same like bone crushing mistakes as like missed field goals or completely failed recovering onside kicks, but like it's just small stuff where like penalties on kick returns, muffed punts, bad mm-hmm. punt coverage, bad punts. It's the kind of small stuff that adds up to making it. One of the worst, if not the worst, special teams unit in the league.
1: That's it. And it's hard to correct when it's all of that. Yeah. You know, because I think I was on last week. It's like, oh, they're going to add Russell Douglas to the kick coverage unit. Well, that doesn't affect penalties, shank punts, all these other things. It doesn't help.
0: Yeah, and one player doesn't usually make a big difference like that. I mean, only the major, major players make a big difference in things. Right. Um, We have so many questions now I want to get to a lot of these Um, (laughs) Patrick Seeley Kind of went off here With a lot of Questions I think I can summarize by saying um, If I said That The Patriots should have gone for it On fourth and goal from the seven But I also say that DVO But DVOA is broken And therefore doesn't that mean that that's broken? I, did, I, did I summarize that well, I guess? I, so the, the coaching decisions model is the edge sports model. It's, it's, it's not based, it's not my model. I'm not the one who, who sort of programs that model. It uses DVOA in that it uses DVOA to determine the strengths and weaknesses of the teams. Mm-hmm. So it uses DVOA, weighted DVOA actually, to determine, for example, that the Patriots passing game and running game, Mm -hmm. are much better than the Houston Texans. Right. And so when you're judging whether a team should go for it on a certain fourth down, you want to sort of judge based on the running game and the passing game that they have. Mm -hmm. And then you can do something interesting, which is, you can look at the numbers on a decision, and then you can sub in, like, the worst offense in the league against the best defense in the league and see would the decision have still held because a lot of times coaches will say well we felt that we weren't playing uh, we weren't playing well that day mm-hmm. so you know we didn't want to go for it and you say okay well what if you really weren't playing well that day what if instead of playing like the patriots you were playing like houston mm-hmm. what would it say and it turns out by the way that the fourth and goal the fourth and goal comes out as something like a 3.5% win probability error to exactly. go for it, uh, to, sorry, to kick the field goal there rather than going for it. If you sub in the Houston Texans offense, so effectively the worst offense in the league, it's only a 1.5% error. Right. So, right. I mean, I think that Belichick made an error there, but it's not, like, it's not a huge, egregious, like the worst error of all time. The error that he made earlier in the season against Tampa when he had Nick Folk kick a field goal for six yards in the rain (laughs) Mm -hmm. instead of going for fourth and three is a much bigger error than what happened this week. So what you're saying
1: is you could, to sort of stress test the model, say, okay, let's say you're going for it and you're the Texans and you're facing the 1985 Bears. Right. What are your probabilities? And run it and say, you still should be going for it now as the Texans against the Bears. So that is sort Mm -hmm. of like – Beyond anyone's logic or opinion, that's a mistake. What you did, okay. And then when you throw, well, you're not the Texans, you are the Patriots, and those aren't the 85 Bears, they're a mortal team. The per- percentages only get higher and it becomes more, more of an error.
0: And Patrick Seeley says, A rookie's fourth game against Tampa. Are there any inputs for that? Well, yes, yeah. like, we, like do we, our, we, do, we just addressed we do that. Our, topic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do our best to estimate how good we think teams are going in. To that game. So the ratings that we use for the Patriots now are based on most of a season worth of, worth of data. Right. The ratings that we used going into week four were primarily projections, and right. they were projections based on having a rookie quarterback. Right. So the offense that we assumed the Patriots had in week four was not as good as the offense that we assume they have now, right. because back then it was a rookie in his fourth game. And now we've seen what the Patriots can do over the course of 13 games. So we think they're a better team than we thought they were in week four.
1: Right. Right.
0: I, I, I think we've exhausted what we can do in a podcast
1: uh, discussing this. Patrick, uh, our emails are open.
0: Yeah. I mean, feel free to ask some more questions about it over email. It's, it's The fact is actually the funny thing. I mean, I've been talking about this a lot over the last few days this may be the most that we've talked about analytics in the major football media ever. Yeah. The last week between uh, Brandon Staley's decisions against Kansas city Harbaugh going for two at the end against green Bay and and Mm -hmm. a a little tiny bit Belichick, but not a lot Belichick. The Belichick decision pales in the like, I mean in new England, it's a big deal, but like in the national discussion, it pales in comparison to the Brandon Staley decisions and the John Harbaugh decision. But um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely interesting to have analytics in the public sphere. And I feel like the, you know the more we talk about it, the more we can get our point across and hopefully convince some people. And if we can't convince some people, at least we can hopefully explain to people who are open-minded, who may disagree about it, but are at least open-minded to understanding the side of the analytics, even if they don't change their minds, at least hopefully we are helping people to understand what it is. And also helping people understand that aggressiveness does not always mean analytics like Harbaugh, like Harbaugh's decision at the end of that game with the Packers was not an analytics decision. It was a gut decision. We talked about this. Well, we talked about this on the Monday show, which was me and Ian O'Connor, Mm-hmm. that, you know, he felt like his defense was slag, man. He felt like right. he didn't want to put that defense back on the field against Aaron Rodgers in overtime. and overtime. And he just was like, let's go out and win this thing right now. And he asked his players, do you think we can do this? And his players were like, yeah, we think we can do this. And he was like, all right, trust my players. Let's do it.
1: Yeah.
0: You're right, I though. Don't think, I don't think I am shaming people. I, I would am- hope that I'm not shaming people. I am. Sorry. I would hope that I'm not one of the analytics people on Twitter who comes off like I'm shaming people. I understand that some of the analytics people on Twitter have that tone. I would hope that I'm not one of the people who comes off with that tone.
1: I, I assure you, th- you're not shaming anyone, Aaron.
3: <laughs> I think one of the issues may be describing it as an error, so it sounds like you know Belichick definitely did something wrong. But it's a sort of error like a quarterback missing a pass on third down. That's also an error that right. that hurts his team's chances of winning the game. Mm-hmm.
1: And that, and that's it. And also Bill Belichick is capable of making errors, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not shaming anyone by suggesting that someone makes a bad coaching decision from time to time. Greatest coach in the world make make 99.5% correct coaching decisions and then there's a 0.5%, you know. And
0: when you're doing This is not something he's good at. I mean, you want a list of things that Bill Belichick is good at? I'll give you a really long list. <laughs> but fourth down, right now, fourth down decisions is mm-hmm. not on that list. Right. And,
1: and I think most of us look at it and say, yeah, well, the rookie quarterback, he doesn't necessarily trust him in decision X, Y, Z, and that's why he's doing it. But that's where you come back and say, but we can run the, we can, we can stress test that by putting the Texans or the Jaguars in the same situation and show that it's still a suboptimal, uh, you know, decision.
0: Uh, Let's take one of the other questions here. One of the reasons we we had Tom on the show was to talk a little bit about tomorrow night's game since Tom couldn't come on tomorrow's show. So let's go with Todd Singer talking about how do you feel about the Titans game tomorrow night? And what do you think is their best offensive approach against the 49ers? Let's talk a little bit about tomorrow night's game.
3: Yeah I haven't done I haven't paid a close attention to how the 49ers are playing specifically on defense lately but it's Tennessee's problems that right now are Tennessee's problems and I detail this a little bit in audibles that they have a very much a stars and scrubs approach on offense and right now they're trying to uh, my assumption at this point is not, uh we won't see either AJ Brown or Julio Jones. It sounds
0: on- like AJ Brown may play this week.
3: It's, I'm not going to make any firm determinations until I see today's injury report and practice status. Anything early in the week from Tennessee, in terms of injuries is basically just noise, and should basically be ignored. Um, It's, uh, I can go into that. But uh, so by and I don't know what you can and even if say Julio does play I wouldn't know that you can count on him uh, right now so they're really dependent on having those guys healthy and frankly at this point it's long odds to the number one seed and they can win the AFC South even if they lose this game though obviously you know it'd be nice to win this game playing against a team traveling thousands of miles on a short week
0: from what I know about the 49ers, you can sort of describe what their defense is right now as Nick Bosa is playing out of his gourd. Mm-hmm.
2: That entire so massive is playing out of their mind. Yeah, their there's,
0: line. they're a great defensive line. DJ Jones. Arden uh,
2: Key has nine sacks this year. <laughs> yeah. Who is that? Arden, Arden Key. Key. Arden, Arden Key. Key. Arden yeah.
0: Arden yeah. Key. Like, seriously, like the dude the Raiders got rid of. Uh, but their secondary is pretty wrecked.
3: Yeah, and so one of Tennessee's issues right now is they don't is the offensive line isn't playing particularly well and it doesn't hold up in pure pass situations in particular. And they don't have the run game to really, you know, they ran for yards against the Steelers, but it wasn't that efficient. And they do this weird thing where they either where first downs a pass it's the second down is a run and if the first down is a pass second down is a run it's like they do that something like 70 percent of the time (laughs) so that's this it's this weird bizarre thing to watch and i'm having a hard time getting over it uh but they really need the receivers they'd have don't separate separate very well and Tannehill doesn't have the same level of trust in terms of timing that the receivers will be there. And they don't, and none of them are fast. So it it has a very limited passing game. They don't go downfield very much. And Tannehill, and it's hard to run a precise timing offense when you don't have a ton of trust for with the receivers Mm -hmm. or their ability to gain separation so i think tennessee is in sort of like get by mode especially with you know tj watt had some plays where he wrecked their game plan you know right tackle david kessenberry would be nice if some of john robinson's uh
1: uh, (laughs) high
3: picks on right tackles the past two years had panned out but Mm -hmm. you know we're still waiting on that so it's I think the key for this game will be Tennessee's defense holding the uh, San Francisco offense down. In that case, I'd look for uh, play action against uh, the linebackers Tennessee ends up using uh, last game. It was a lot of Rashawn Evans and uh, Zach Cunningham in his first game with Tennessee. And both those guys have shown vulnerability to play action in the past. So I think that's really the key to this game and making sure that San Francisco doesn't get ahead and in control of this game against Tennessee's offense.
2: I was going to say, I think that's probably my matchup to watch for in this game. I think San Francisco's offense is playing at a really high level right now, especially with the way they can manipulate linebackers and second-level defenders. It's all Kyle Shanahan's offense does. It basically puts your uh, linebackers and your safeties in a blender. And I think Zach Cunningham, Rashawn Evans, Jayon Brown, I think they're a very underrated group in terms of Tennessee's like defense, in terms of how we talk about them. We know Jeffrey Simmons and Nico Autry. They're going to get after it. They're going to get after San Francisco's front. Um, Kevin Byard is going to make plays in the back end. But I think that linebacker group is going to be huge, especially in this game, because they're going to throw Debo Samuel in the backfield a lot. They're going to use George Kittle in a lot of different ways. If they can't stop Debo Samuel when he's lined up in the backfield or stopping or not even stopping, but neutralizing George Kittle in the passing game downfield, then it could be a really tough game for uh, Tennessee's defense.
1: And that goes back to what you were saying, Tom, about the play-action vulnerability, because that's what they're going to want to do with, with those players.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think at the beginning of the season, Zach Cunningham was one of the best linebackers in the league in terms of run, run support. Running yeah, he's, he's numbers, got he great numbers worst. against
0: the run for the last couple of years and just terrible against yeah, the pass.
2: So it's going to be – I'm really intrigued to see what they do when Debo's lined up in the backfield. Are they going to put a safety there just in case of the passing game? But they've been running downhill like running back, like right. run action with him in the backfield. So are you going to substitute a safety there and lose a little bit of that run support? Or are you going to risk having uh Rashawn Evans or Zach Cunningham left on an island against Debo Samuel in potential pass situations?
1: This is this is the future of the NFL, Debo Samuels and up Patterson's. Playing the halfback role, replacing the running backs, uh, so that you have to put these stresses on the
2: defense. It is really cool. Um, you know, when in the NBA, we have a lot of like what people describe as positionless players that are coming in. We're we're now starting to see that in the NFL on both sides of the ball. You know, you have Cordero Patterson, you have your Debo Samuel, and then on defense, you have guys like Tyron Matthew who line up everywhere on the field. You have Derwin James, Isaiah Simmons. Yes. It's really cool to see.
3: And Tennessee's version of that player on defense is Elijah Molden.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Elijah, Elijah Molden's fun. I think he uh, – yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but he plays with so much fire and intensity for being a smaller corner, like a smaller slot corner. Mm-hmm. It's, re- it's really fun. It kind of unlocks that energy level for that defense.
0: Do you think he might be lined up against Debo?
2: Uh, he's largely been a
3: third safety, and uh, San Francisco loves base personnel so much and two tight ends that I think Tennessee would match up to in their base 3-4 and just take their chances with one of their linebackers.
0: Mm-hmm. Does Bayard uh, cover Kittle?
3: Um. We'll see what they do. Uh, What they did against Kansas City was special team safety Dane Crookshank spent a lot of time on Kittle. One of the things that uh, you really saw in that game in particular is uh, Vrabel's New England background and not giving the tight end the free release on the line. Hmm. And so I think that's definitely one of the things to look for to help limit the play-action game and just Kittle in general.
0: Speaking of Kansas City, CCX3 says, on a similar note, if Kelsey and Hill are out... Does Pittsburgh have a chance against yes. Kansas City?
1: Yes. I think uh, welcome they do. The, yes.
0: Welcome to the confusion of the late 2021 season in the NFL where I have no idea who's going to be out, who's going to test, when. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that absolutely gives Pittsburgh a better chance with no Kelsey and no Hill. I mean, Mahomes is Mahomes, but if he's throwing to – Blake Bell and and, and mm-hmm. Pringle and Demarcus Robinson then they're definitely a lesser team this is how the Steelers get their wins
1: I mean the, the Titans are a very depleted team the Ravens are a very depleted team they go out there they get into these mucky they they got the Seahawks with Geno Smith earlier in the season these mucky sloppy games and they get a couple of splash plays a T.J watt sack strip sack something like that maybe a fourth down stop, two-point conversion stop, one or two flaming Roethlisbergers, which is what I now call an underthrown DPI. I'm giving it a name because it needs a name. It's the flaming Roethlisberger.
2: And all of a sudden they're in these games,
1: and that's definitely what I think they can do against the Kansas State Chiefs without those guys.
2: I was going to say it, it really is kind of relying on what the, what Pittsburgh offense shows up because one week they could be hanging a bunch of points on Minnesota. The next week they're only scoring like 19 points on Tennessee – so we re- we really don't know what this offense shoot is. man one week one half, <laughs> one half. So that was that was one they good
1: did. half when they're already down by whatever twenty four in like the last month or so that that offense is a mess so it's, whatever happened there bad whether bad. it was you know the Vikings let up or or what, the last moment of Roethlisberger or whatever don't don't look for that against the Chiefs but what you can look for is yeah it's like oh it's sixteen to thirteen and it comes down to you know high leverage plays and all of a sudden the Steelers are making those.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll hit this question here uh, Do short, but Coral Skipper, who is at home with COVID, please feel better, Coral Skipper. It's come up that at least national games should have an analytics analyst like they have a rules analyst. Who do you think would be good candidates for the job? The answer is that I keep suggesting that because I want the job. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I I do point out, right, that I am the one person in the analytics community who has a lot of media experience because I was a radio disc jockey for a living before I started doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, But it actually uh, the for the fact is, for most of the national games, there are already people in line. The NFL Network should have Cynthia Freeland in studio to answer these questions. ESPN should have, I would guess, Seth Walder. I mean, Brian Burke does more of the work, but Seth is the communications guy for Stats and Info. Uh, NBC should have someone from PFF like Eric Eager. Steve Kornacki. Or or Steve. Well, the question is, I don't know how much Steve Kornacki knows versus how much he's just getting fed numbers from PFF.
3: Well, he's yeah,
0: he's good at it. Uh, But- CBS or Fox is welcome to call me. I am available for either CBS or Fox who do not have, unlike those other networks, do not have someone who's naturally makes sense to be this person. So the reason I keep suggesting that is because I want to be that person and CBS and Fox are welcome to contact me about the job. If you want someone younger, JP. And if you want someone younger, JP or Kale.
2: Well, Kale, yeah. I will um, mix in all the anime references. Since JP is here, Rivers asks, since JP is here, who should the Jaguars hire as head coach? Okay, so I kind of break this up into who I want them to hire and who I think they're eventually going to hire. So who I want them to hire is Byron Leftwich. I think it's an easy thing to do. I think it's clear that that he wants the job. I think what he's done in Tampa's with Tampa's offense. I know they have Brady, I know Bruce Arians, but he is the play caller in that offense. And their offense has really exploded in terms of productivity, efficiency. Um, I think a lot of fans complain about them being too pass happy, but I think I wrote for Big Cat Country last week that they're pass happy because they're really good at it. It's not like they're just throwing it to throw it. They're really good at early down and neutral down passing rate, passing efficiency, and they still can get after you running the ball. I think the way way he's built that offense in terms of – Downhill aggressive running combined with downhill passing will help Trevor Lawrence in terms of his development because you can't you can't like hold Trevor Lawrence in in terms of his arm talent so keep letting them throw the ball down the field. Um, who I think they're going to hire is Doug Peterson. I think Shad Khan is going to go the way of stability mm-hmm. after the debacle that was Urban Meyer. The Jaguars need a coach who's going to. Pro- Provide stability and also not kick players. Yeah. It's tough to because Ohio his bars. quarterback
0: whisperer is now the head coach of the Indianapolis
2: Colts. That so. is the huge problem. I think if Doug Peterson's the hire, I would want to see who he gets as his offensive assistant. Because if he ends up getting Matt Nagy here as an offensive coordinator, then I am off the bus. <laughs> Please, <laughs> roller coaster. I am done. But. <laughs> I really do. I do think they're gonna go with either Doug Peterson or Byron Leftwich. But I want Byron Leftwich so bad. If it's not Leftwich, then Eric enemy. because I mean, you've seen what he's done with that Chiefs offense. But right now, if I were to rank my top two in terms of who I want, it's gonna be Byron Leftwich, who I think it's gonna end up being is Doug Peterson.
1: One thing I can guarantee is that Doug Peterson will not kick anyone. That is is the one thing that we are certain of.
0: I mean, it would be nice to see Doug Peterson get another job, certainly in the analytics community. He's someone who embraced what we do, so that's positive. The guy won a Super Bowl. That's pretty positive. But I definitely don't know what assistants come with him and who becomes the Lawrence Whisperer.
2: Yeah, that's the one thing. The, The hire has to be an offensive mind. If you're going to invest all of this capital in the franchise quarterback, which you should because you drafted him number one overall, You need to have offensive minded head coach. You need to have a quarterback whisper, whatever that means. (laughs) And you need to build this franchise around him, because for the next three years, that is who you are going to be. That is the face of your franchise. And if you can't build around him, then don't even sign up to get interviewed for the job.
0: Uh, Abe Navarrete says, JP, talk about your Dallas defense take. Do you have a
2: Dallas defense take? I have think? a Dallas defense take. Um, I think the Dallas Cowboys defense is the best defense in the league right now. And the reason I say that is because, you know, we talk about offenses in terms of being explosive, where they generate big pass plays, big run plays, touchdowns. Dallas's defense is explosive. They get tackles for loss. They get sacks. They create turnovers. Those are the big three in terms of explosive defense. They play a lot more single high man covers than I thought they would, which is a huge, I guess, props to Dan Quinn for changing up his style of defense to match his personnel. But they can get after you in different ways. I mean, one week you'll have Michael Parsons lining up on the edge and you'll have Randy Gregory opposite him and DeMarcus Lawrence on the inside. Next week uh, against, against Washington, they had Micah Parsons rushing from depth as an off-ball linebacker. But they have so many guys who can just create and make plays. It's not just the stars and scrubs. It's okay, Micah Parsons is going to make a play here. Then J-Ron Curse, who's been really good covering tight end, is going to make a big pass breakup. Javon Diggs is going to get an interception. Leeton Vanderash is going to make some good run stops. So I think right now the way they play defense is so, so different from A lot of other teams right now it's different from buffalo where they're going to come at you they're going to be aggressive and force you into making a decision real quick and it's led to them being number one in epa so far on the season so i think yeah i think they're the best defense in the league which is something i didn't expect to be saying right now i don't think
0: anybody expected that before the season certainly um so here's a question we got early on, and it, this will end up eventually tying into the questions about Dallas or t- talking about Dallas's defense too. Hitchhiker's Pie asked, do you think that Roger's unvaxxed status missing a game and his recent outburst has hurt his chances in the MVP race? And this gets me to one of the things I wanted to talk about today, which were all of the awards and who we think is leading or is the best candidate for awards with three weeks left. And we can start with the MVP right. because I think Tom Brady was the leader in the MVP race mm-hmm. until this week. Yeah, And that game against the Saints was so bad that I think he fell behind Aaron Rodgers. Right. I don't know what voters will think about Rodgers missing a game specifically because he's unvaxxed because especially now where you have with Omicron, we have lots of vaxxed players missing games. Like being unvaxxed is not the only way to miss games anymore. It's
1: not just unvaxxed, it's running around stomping your feet talking about being unvaxxed. There's a level beyond right,
0: that. Right, but it's and the, like, taking the coaches, Should that matter in the MVP race, or do we really only care about like what he does on the field?
2: I uh, think the way that the NFL is going to look at it is solely on the field. I don't yeah. think they want to discuss any of but the offense. No, it's not the it's, NFL. Yeah, right, it's not the NFL. It's 40 writers. writers. It the writers. Oh man, I I really do think it's they're going to take they're going to take it into account but it won't be the like end all be all. Like if he misses another game due to uh him not being vaccinated then maybe we'll have this this will have a lot more precedent but I I don't think right now. I
0: feel like if they get the number 1 seed despite the fact that they lost that game to Kansas city, it's hard to count that against him because they got the number one seed Anyway, he,
1: he very wisely got COVID early. So they would have natural immunity for the playoff chase.
2: He's really, a hero. <laughs> he's playing chess guys. He's playing I mean, I chess. do wish Aaron
0: Rodgers would shut up right. because my God, is he saying a lot of dumb stuff, conspiracy theory, stuff about Ivermectin, just like silliness. Right. Right. Um, I think right now I would vote for him okay. Um, because we still have Brady as the total value, most valuable quarterback, but Rogers is Rogers leads in every per play measure, like by enough, whether it's DVOA or ESPN's QBR or EPA per play, he leads in every per play measure and by a good amount after Brady fell on his face so badly against the saints. And I think, if he continues to lead, I am considering that he is behind, no question about it, he is behind a worse offensive line uh-huh. than the other, the other top quarterbacks who are candidates for MVP, right? Like he may, his receivers, I, I think his receiver, I mean, he has maybe the best receiver in the league in Devontae Adams. So I don't think you can say his weapons are not as good as the other guys, but his offensive line is definitely not as good as the other guys. So if he's leading in all of the stats – I think he's the MVP. I
2: would uh, go ahead, Tom.
3: Oh, I was on with I was on with uh, Mike and Aaron a month ago, and I said uh, whoever gets the NFC number one seed, uh, QB of that team is the MVP. And right now, I do think that's. I'm still sticking by that. That if Green Bay, I. If green bay loses and tampa bay ends up as the number one seed you know they have bad tiebreakers but you know it could happen then i do think you do need to give brady the mvp i think if
0: dallas gets the one seed prescott does not win the mvp okay Okay. yeah that's
3: yeah that's fair with uh, with how the dallas offense has played lately but um but between kyler arizona still has an outside shot and then brady and rogers then i think i'm just voting for whoever gets the uh nfc number one seed and it'll really come and then if uh, dallas does end up with the number one seed then it's i'm probably i probably am leading brady right now but it's still in real it's still a relatively open race compared to something like uh defensive rookie of the year
2: so i'm just going to make the argument for jonathan taylor to win mvp i think um he's first right now in dyar by a lot like mm-hmm. right. the oh, margin yeah. but the margin between him and second place is so much larger between second and third and third and fourth and so yeah. on and so forth and he's also first in DVOA by a lot i think yeah. we have historical precedent for this type of year from a running back because in 2012 Adrian Peterson had the same type of year Jonathan right. Taylor is ahead of Adrian Peterson that year, DYAR and DVOA. I think right now, if it were me and I was voting, I think Jonathan Taylor gets the MVP. I, I,
1: I wrote about this in the Times today, and we talked about – and I based on the conversation we had a month ago about valuable, the word valuable, versus the most outstanding player or the most – exemplary or, you know, whatever you want to call it, a a unique season. And that's what Taylor's having. And if we go with value, we are, we are in this place where it's Brady or Rogers. Um, But I mean, I I think in terms of, you know, maybe we should think differently about this as an award, not saying who's the most valuable player in terms of actual value, but who deserves an award. And right now if we're talking about Brady stumbling through a season and, uh, and, and, and conspiracy theory, McGee, (laughs) I would look for other alternatives. That said, I don't have a vote. Uh, Am I off?
3: No. Uh, no.
0: Something just went wrong with the uh, discussion thread, I think, but we'll be fine.
1: Okay. Uh, What I think is going to happen is it's going to be a close, probably a two-person, maybe a three- or four-person race in the end, because I think some voters are going to look for an opportunity to not vote for Rodgers. They're going to look for the opportunity. Did Brady have a couple good seasons at the end against the Jets? Okay, good. That's fine.
0: One I think one possibility I do think is Taylor wins because the quarterbacks all split. Split ticket. The people who think like me, who think it has to be a quarterback because passing is simply mm-hmm. more valuable than rushing. Something like the top like fourteen or fifteen passing games in the league are more efficient than the Colts running game, as good as Taylor is. But it also brings up another question, which is offensive player of the year. Right. Because if you're willing to vote for a non-quarterback for MVP, then the two Offensive Player of the Year candidates become MVP candidates. Right. And not just Jonathan Taylor, but Cooper Cup. Yep, Right. Yep. He yes. is right now on pace to set the all-time record for receiving DYAR. Now, uh, he wouldn't set the all-time record in only 16 games, but he's on pace to set the record. Right. In 17 yeah. games. He's having an unbelievable season. So if you consider Taylor, do you also consider Cup? In which case, who's better? Taylor or Cup? <laughs> I'm not even sure how to answer that question. I right. did a poll on my Twitter, and the poll on my Twitter came out with 60% uh, Cup. And, and this is Offensive Player of the Year.
2: This is for for player. player of the yeah. Year. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think i I went with Cup here for offensive player of the year just because he's on pace to break calvin Johnson's single season receiving record and if you think about the gap between when Calvin Johnson broke it and Jerry Rice like set the record and Calvin Johnson broke it and now we're here between Calvin Johnson and Cooper cup I think he's also he's been fantastic this year he's currently the triple Crown leader in receptions receiving yards and touchdowns yeah if it it's got to be kind of an easy choice. If if what I think, if Taylor wins MVP, I think Cooper Cup, Offensive Player of the Year. Are you comfortable, JP, then,
1: with quarterbacks getting shut out of the awards? Because then we go almost in the other direction.
2: I am very comfortable with that. Okay. I think. <laughs> I'm <laughs> all for this. I'm, I'm honestly gonna, comfortable I'm with that. Because I'm, com-
0: I'm comfortable with the idea that if a quarterback doesn't win MVP, that Offensive Player of the Year has to go to either Taylor or Cup. And Patrick Seely points out Jonathan Taylor had big moments and writers love storylines. We sure do. Which is true about Taylor, where we're still waiting for the one of these quarterbacks. So you don't know if in the last two or three weeks one of these quarterbacks is gonna have that moment.
3: Right. And like I remember
0: why clinches a playoff spot or something.
3: And I remember last year we, uh, we, you, uh, we were talking about your MVP vote a couple of weeks before the end of the season, and then Stephon Diggs had this huge game, the next-to-last game of the year, Monday Night Football, and I think that ended up sealing his place on the all-pro team. Yes. All right. Yeah, just to-
1: right. We have three weeks left, and Brady plays the Panthers, Jets, and Panthers during those three weeks. So he hasn't lost the MVP title yet. And here I am
0: standing for Tom Brady to win an MVP award, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, comments. boy yeah (laughs) Yeah, i i I, I go back to the idea that the quarterbacks might split the vote and taylor might win it right it's an interesting idea though we think i sounds like we all kind of think voters are more likely to vote for taylor for mvp than cup yeah even if they're willing to vote for cup for offensive player of the year would we all kind of agree on that
2: yeah i think so And i'd also kind of attribute that to uh their quarterbacks because there is a large difference between Matthew Stafford and Carson Wentz and the perception of like, well, Cooper Cup's doing all this, yada, 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 because he has Matthew Stafford at quarterback now. And Jonathan Taylor has Carson Wentz who completed five passes out of 12 on Saturday. (laughs) I think that has something to do with it.
0: Here's another one. That's hard. Defensive player of the year.
2: Oh God! I struggled with this until I looked up kind of the numbers. I'm going look up the and odds. I went. I'm going with T.J. Watt. And when you look at the numbers, he's first in pass rush win rate. I think he's fifth in run stop win rate as an edge defender. He's first in sacks. He's second in tackles for loss. He's first in forced fumbles, and he's all. And he's done it in 12 games. I think Miles Garrett has a huge case as this Trevon Diggs, but I think right now T.J. Watt is one of the most dominant defenders in the NFL in terms of game-changing plays.
0: I think Travon Diggs is out because the interception streak stopped, yeah. and it's too early in the season for people to remember. But I'll bring up two other names: Micah Parsons. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the comment that Ben Baldwin made on Twitter last night, which is honestly, Aaron Donald should win Defensive Player of the Year every year until he retires. Mm-hmm.
2: By yeah. the way,
1: he. Uh, Donald is at plus 800, as I think most of the, the House believes. He's had three awards. He'd have to do something uh, significant. Parsons is at plus 300, as I, the House thinks, like I think, we'll just give him Rookie of the Year and that's the, and be happy kid. Mm-hmm. Diggs is at plus 1,000. We're on the same page there. Watt is at plus 175, and Garrett is down to plus 400. Garrett's gone down a little bit. Had a good game on Monday night. I don't know if anyone noticed. Um, but T.J. Watt is now the favorite there, and I- I'm pretty comfortable giving it to T.J. Watt.
2: I mean, you can't really argue uh, between any of, either of those guys. They, um, they're all having great seasons. Yeah, yeah they're having fantastic seasons, but T.J. Watt has 17 and a half sacks in 12 games. That I is an unbelievable run. Parsons,
0: because what Parsons can do by moving around the defense and playing so many roles is so special. Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, right.
2: like I, I understand that one too, and I had I have it written down for a defensive rookie of the year, but TJ right. well, that Wals- one doesn't even deserve discussion, honestly. Yeah. Let, me, let me look at yeah. the odds real quick. TJ Watt's Wals- Wals- played phenomenal this year.
1: The odds for Micah Parsons are at minus ten thousand, <laughs> minus ten thousand. <000. laughs> Bet ten thousand dollars to win a hundred on yes. Micah Parsons,
2: folks. That's
1: smart money.
0: What are the offensive rookie of the year odds at this point?
1: One moment as I look them up, and it is going to be your it's Earl yeah. and chase.
3: Or, I'm sorry, uh, Mac and Chase.
1: Mack at minus seven hundred, chase at plus four hundred, and then goofiness. As a gambler, I you, you go with Chase.
0: I love the case for Rashawn Slater or Creed
2: Humphrey, but the voters That's are, are going to vote for an offensive uh, line. It's
3: not That's
2: happen. who I was going to make the case for. I'm going to fully nerd out and say I think Creed Humphrey should win offensive rookie of the year. He's first in pass block win rate as a center in the entire league as a rookie. He's ninth in run block win rate as a center in the entire league as a rookie. And if you look at Kansas City's pass, pass block win rate and run block win rate from last year to this year, they were 31st in run block win rate last year. They're third right now you go from last year's pass block win rate they were six they went up to I think it was like third in team pass block win rate this year Creed Humphrey has been phenomenal and he probably won't win but he should honestly if it's it's between him and Rashawn Slater I think Matt Jones had a great year Jamar Chase has been fantastic but let's give it to a lineman man I'm all for this especially Creed Humphrey
1: By the way, Slater's on the board at plus 10,000. Humphrey is not on the board at DraftKings. I'm sure you can get plus 15,000 or something like that somewhere for him. I wouldn't do it, though.
0: And Patrick (laughs) Seeley says, Mac is the quarterback of the number two AFC team. If they don't give it to Mac, it's Patriots hate. Well, I mean, I think they're more likely to give it to a quarterback. I would say it's Patriots hate. If they don't give it to Mac, it's because Jamar Chase had an awesome last three games of the year. Right. Go Go ahead.
1: And Chase also had a couple of big games going into this. And if Mac doesn't get it, it's probably because he has a couple more games like he had on Saturday night. I think it's his to lose right now.
0: Yeah, it's his to lose right now,
3: I think. Um, if If he has a stinker of a game against Buffalo, Bills win the division, and Chase goes off, then I think that's the Chase winning scenario. Otherwise, then I think it's Mac.
0: Right. Coach of the year.
3: Oh, man.
1: Let me pull some odds for everyone. Give me one second as we have dead air. Here it is: Bill Belichick at plus one hundred, Matt Lafleur at plus three hundred, Sean McVay at plus twelve hundred, Cliff Kingsbury at plus sixteen hundred, Frank Reich at plus sixteen hundred, and then the deluge.
3: We haven't given Bill Belichick nearly enough Coach of the Year awards.
2: How many that has is he wise. won? Sorry, How many has he two, really? right? What's that? How many has he won? I will look that up. I have have to look it up. I will look it up. See, I, I went with Matt LaFleur here, mainly because of the circus that has gone around, uh, the Packers this year. We kind of don't talk about it, but they're, they're on their third string offensive line right now, along with losing some of their top receivers, along with Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers. somehow they're still in place to get the number one seed, in the uh, NFC, I think right the names that I wrote down are Matt LaFleur, Bill Belichick, and Frank Reich. And right now, if I had to choose between those three, I'd go Matt LaFleur.
0: I think Belichick, if they beat the Bills this week and win the division. If I they go don't with, win the division, then it's a more interesting discussion.
1: I would go with LaFleur, with J.P., based on the fact that they're the number 10 team in DVOA and they've had this circus and they've had these injuries. And here they are go- going in for the number one seed. They had, like you said, a variety of adversities and somebody has played through that. And by the way, Belichick has won three coach of the years, last one way back 2010. Wow. Yes. That's, that's when everyone just said. Okay. You're one of the greatest of all time. Let's vote for the hot hand this year and you know which is how that voting often goes yeah which
3: is how that ward and that's belichick actually does have a hot hand this year the patriots are a lot better than i thought they'd be so
2: i will they- say there is a very good argument for frank reich as uh, coach of the year considering they started out one and four in their first five games and then they just went on this crazy run and it's not only just how the fact they're winning games is how they're winning. Despite Carson Wentz not playing spectacular. Right. Like he hasn't been like super crazy, but he hasn't, he hasn't necessarily been like the worst quarterback in the league this year, right. which right. also goes into his coach of the year. Uh, I guess it's a feather in, in his coach of the year cap. He's turned Carson Wentz into a playable quarterback.
1: May, may I do something real quick? 2018 coach of the year. Matt Nagy.
0: <laughs> I was
1: not voting yet. <laughs> 2016 Coach of the Year, Jason Garrett. Wow. Uh, let me go back a little bit more here. 2008, Atlanta Falcons, Mike Smith. That's not that bad. They really had a good year. He had he was a pretty yeah. good
3: coach. The-
1: 2001, Chicago Bears, Dick Geron. So we can go back a ways. There's, there's been some fascinating choices along the way in that in that category. You don't see that with MVP. The MVP, everybody, like, oh,
0: yeah, I remember that.
1: Some of these coaches, it's like, Ew.
3: well, yeah.
0: the, often the... It's the team that had the surprising good year. Yes. yes. And yes. this year, the team that had the surprising good year is New England. Yeah, true. There you go. Um, one more I want to ask about before we finish up, and that's comeback player of the year. Dak <laughs> Prescott. Joe Burrow, Nick Bosa,
2: or Derwin James? I got mine, and this is probably going to. I'm. Probably, <laughs> if, they'll probably make jokes about me because I haven't chosen the quarterback for real for any of these awards. Mm-hmm. I'm going Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa has like, I don't know if it's been quietly, but he's been dominant this year. He's third in the NFL in sacks. He's first in tackles for loss and forced fumbles. He's fifth in run and pass rush win rate. And again, he's coming off a torn ACL.
0: I believe ESPN, the next-gen stats, shows he's double teamed more than any edge rusher in the league. Hmm. Yeah,
2: he has been dominant this year in any way you want to measure the statistic. And he's kind of helped that Niners defense go from being absolutely terrible to at least in a position where they can make the playoffs. And right now, they're one of the teams that, NFC teams probably do not want to see because of that pass rush and Nick Bosa is leading that. Um, I think Dak Prescott probably gets my second place vote. I also wrote down Joe Burrow. Um, Derwin James is a really interesting case because you can really measure the impact when he's on the field versus off the field. Perfect example is Thursday against Kansas city. When he was on the field, Travis Kelsey didn't, didn't go off. When he went, went off the field, Travis Kelsey almost had 200 yards receiving and won the game. So you can make an argument for Derwin James. You can make an argument for Joe Burrow and Dak Prescott. But I think Nick Bosa's got it this year.
1: By the way, Nick Bosa at plus 1,000 money lines. So you could play that one. And that's not off the rails. Dak Prescott at minus 650. Joe Burrow at plus 750.
2: What I will say about the Dak and Joe Burrow kind of case is their offenses both haven't looked as dominant or as explosive as they did early on in the season. Whether it be because of Dak's calf injury or Joe Burrow's finger, they haven't looked as impressive. And I think Nick Bosa has just consistently been a game wrecker. Like that's really been it. I can see
0: myself voting for Bosa. We'll see what happens over the last couple weeks, but I, I could definitely see myself going with Bosa over the two quarterbacks. I'm sticking with Prescott. Uh,
1: and the thing with Burrow is I kind of see the comeback being like you were at a high level and then dropped off and then you were at a high level. And not well, no,
0: because Burrow got injured.
1: Well, yeah. Well, no, he it's like, a rookie, so it's like he, I know he came back, but like we don't have an established level for which. Yeah, that's true. He's
0: right. He's not, it's, more, it's more like it's Staff- his first Sorry. time. Yeah.
3: I mean, Matt Stafford won it in 2011 for not being injured. like well, it was the first <laughs> two years.
1: <laughs> Who won it because they overcame uh, Gase? Was it Ryan Tannehill?
3: Yes,
0: yes. Ryan Tannehill won it for <laughs> overcoming Adam Gase.
3: Uh, I Randy Moss won one of won some of it for two thousand in two thousand seven. I don't think he won the AP award, but he won some other comeback player of the year for coming back from not trying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's one. Hey, you lot tried. tried. Congratulations.
0: <laughs> all right, that does it for the show. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thanks for all the commentary. Uh, Thanks for all the comments and questions. Please remember to watch the show live on YouTube or Twitch so you can talk to us in the comments. Um, Hello to everybody listening on the uh, FO Podcast Network afterwards. Please make sure you rate the show and subscribe. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock Eastern, me and Mike with Brian Knowles to preview Week 16. And until then, enjoy that there is not a game tonight. You get a night off. Night off of the NFL tonight. We'll see you tomorrow.